David. Here at Woven, we've been in a series studying the book of Daniel for this last several weeks, and the series is titled No Compromise, Lessons on Standing Firm. And the last few weeks, we've kind of set the stage for um, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and then I left all of you on a cliffhanger. You were wondering, what did he dream, and what was the interpretation? Of course, everybody wants to know, how do we interpret Daniel? And so today, we're going to do a little bit of interpretation. We're going to see, we're going to try our hand and see how we interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. But before I get right into the dream and its interpretation, I want to set the stage and the format for what we're going to do today. And what I have laid out in your notes, and I'm going to ask you to pull out your notes. Inside of your bulletin, there's the three hole punches. And what you'll see are three sets of soul questions. This is going to be the structure of our talk today. Three sets of soul questions. There's no fill in the blanks. There's no practical application. Honestly, if you've ever read Daniel chapter 2, there's not much in there that will improve your marriage in three easy steps. There's not much in there that we can readily apply. However, there are some deep and profound principles from Daniel 2, and they take the form, in my interpretation, of questions. And so these three sets of soul questions, you'll see them in your notes, and I will go through them one by one. I will just say this. Part of the reason of the spiritual famine in the land, I believe, yes, even in a state like Texas, where there are churches that proliferate the landscape, still at the same time, we might be a mile wide, but only an inch deep. And the reason is because the right questions are not asked. Regularly, the most common question I hear here at Woven is, how is your week? And I like that question because that means we see each other often enough to say what's happened in the last seven days. But no, we want to go deeper. And even in some of our noonday meetings, we call them examinations of conscience or examines. We're diving deep. We're asking questions, where were you dishonest? Where were you afraid? What are you grateful for? What are the resentments? What are the things that jeopardize our souls? The right questions asked open the door for a deeper spiritual journey. So instead of getting together in the med center or in, you know, in the galleria somewhere and we spend 45 minutes just saying, how's your week? What do you think about the Astros? And yeah, this is going on in my life. We go straight to the heart of the matter. The right questions really are what enable us to go deeper into our spiritual lives It's all about the right questions. And so these three sets of soul questions, as they come up from our study of Daniel chapter 2, let's begin straightaways with the dream, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 31, it says, You, O king, this is Daniel speaking, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue, that statue which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance, it was awesome. And the head of that statue, it was made of fine gold. Its breast and its arms were made of silver. Its belly and its thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now remember, this is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He dreamt this. And you continued looking, O Nebuchadnezzar, until a stone was cut out without hands. 
That's a surreal sight in itself, a stone from the mountain, and it's moving, it's cut without hands. And it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay, and it crushed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold, the gold were all crushed at the same time, and they became like chaff, like dust from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone itself that struck the statue became a great mountain, and it filled the whole earth. This was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar didn't ask just for an interpretation. He made it difficult. He said, tell me what I dreamt. And the response was, nobody can read your mind. We'll give you an interpretation. That's the best we can do. But what you dreamt, only God can tell you that. So this is the actual dream. Daniel says, this is what you dreamed, O Nebuchadnezzar. A couple of things about this to note. First of all is that you have the stone cut without hands. And that's something that I'm going to come back to. The sense that there's a divine action taking place, something that couldn't be carved with these puny hands. God is doing something, divine initiative. And then this stone, it strikes the statue. So you have this sense of the kingdom of God or some kingdom that's overtaking a powerful kingdom. And then you have these metals, iron, bronze, silver, and gold. And a couple of things about these, these metals, they were commonly mentioned. In ancient, uh, in ancient sources, it was not uncommon for people to dream about these four metals. I'm not exactly sure what it was. Maybe it was a recurring dream that people at that time, they just had. They dreamt about iron, gold, silver, and bronze. And the thing is, what happens is when the rock hits the feet, all four of these metals are ground to dust. They're utterly destroyed. It speaks of the complete destruction. And then, to me, what the most striking part of this image is, it's in the feet. And if you can see in the feet... The feet are partially iron, but they're also partially clay. The thing about iron is this is a very dense metal. If I was holding iron and I dropped it on the floor, it would make a loud noise. It probably wouldn't even get a dent. But if I was holding clay, pottery, and I dropped it, it would shatter. It would shatter to pieces. And the thing is, it says that the feet, it was mixed partially of iron and partially of clay. Iron and clay don't mix. If you know chemistry, there's no way that those two substances can blend to create a hybrid. There is no hybrid. And so you see pieces of clay, pieces of metal, and you see a fatal flaw in this whole thing. This incredibly beautiful, heavy statue, and yet with feet partially of clay, this is the fatal flaw. And in my view, this is an anxiety dream. It's an anxiety dream if ever I've heard one. You know those type of dreams where you, you, dream, you dream that you're falling or you dream that you, know, you have some kind of anxiety and you wake up in a cold sweat. I can picture Nebuchadnezzar in his sleep and he sees, he's dreaming and he sees this rock and he says, oh my goodness, there's something happening there. The rock is being carved out and it's rolling. No, 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 not this way. Not this, not this way. Not this way, and then not the feet. Please, no, not the feet. And it hits the feet, and the whole thing comes, no, the whole thing comes crumbling down. This is, a, this is an anxiety dream. This is the dream that CEOs have. 
This is the dream that emperors and, and politicians and prime ministers and people in high and lofty places have. These are the anxiety dreams that we all can relate to. I think there's something so human about Nebuchadnezzar's dream. There's a vulnerability. Don't strike the feet. Don't strike the feet. But when I think about it, it's not just kings and prime ministers and CEOs that have anxiety dreams. Even just this week, I was talking with a friend who has not been sleeping for this last entire season. Anxiety dreams come to all of us. We all have anxiety dreams, and we all want to talk about them. In my house, around the breakfast table, when we wake up, oftentimes you'll hear, I had the strangest dream last night. I had this dream that this happened and that happened, and then we'll say in Korean, well, that's something called a gekum. A gekum literally translates a dog's dream. And if you've ever seen a dog dreaming, I saw my dog dreaming just yesterday. You can, they're just... (laughs) You know, they're just barking at something or chasing something. Occasionally, you see the dog jump up and run into the wall. <laughs> what is the dream about? I mean, surely they're not contemplating metaphysical realities or they're not stressed about where their next meal is going to come from. When we say they're having a dog dream, it's rather meaningless. The dreams are meaningless. And occasionally, we have meaningless dreams. But sometimes in the telling of your dream, and I found this even for myself, in the process of saying, I had this really dream, weird dream, it doesn't mean anything, it's probably a kekum. And as I'm telling the dream, no, my wife or my kids, or even myself, as I'm saying it, there's something more to this. This means something. And the problem is, the problem is, many of us don't have anywhere to tell our dreams. And even more so, we don't have anybody to interpret them. We don't have anybody that is divinely in touch, that can tell us the content and the meaning of our dreams. In other words, we don't have, or you might not have, Daniels in your life. There is no Daniel. And you have all this stuff inside of you that's welling up, stuff that's deep down, that's boiling to the surface, but you can't talk about it with anybody because there's no Daniel in your life. Where is the Daniel? You look far and wide. Many people outside of these doors have no one to turn to, let alone to tell their dream, let alone to interpret the dream. And so what do they do? They go look for outside sources, misguided dreams, pursue misguided things. Maybe you might seek psychological help or you might look, sit on the therapist's couch. But nothing replaces a place of divine communication. This is why we need the church. This is why we regularly need to be in the church and be asked the right questions. The reason is because we have all of these hopes and aspirations and dreams and yet no Daniels in our lives. Be in church. Join a church. Be part of a community because you have dreams and you need somebody to interpret it. You need a Daniel. You need somebody to be able to say, uh, to be able to tell you, like the woman at the well in John 4. In John 4, she says, this guy told me everything about myself. Come and see. This person told me everything about who I am. In the same way, an encounter with Jesus will tell you everything about yourself. It will tell you all about the interpretation, everything you've wanted to know. Friends, the first set of soul questions that I invite you 
to reflect on throughout this week. Again, there's no simple practical application I can draw from Daniel 2, but think about it. The question to think about this week is, number one, are my dreams troubling me lately? As you think about your career, as you think about your uh, life stage, as you think about um, your relationships, are there things that are keeping you up at night that have feet of clay? Do your dreams have feet of clay? Are they troubling you? The second question then is, is there an oracle in the land? Is there a sage? Well, yeah, I can tell my dream to my spouse. It's not the same. I can tell my dream to my therapist. Still not the same. Is there somebody who can divinely interpret the content of your dreams for you? Is there somebody that can say, there's stuff happening in your soul. By the way, what's your Enneagram? Or what's happening? Are you going towards disintegration or integration? Are you moving in a healthy pattern? What is happening in your soul? It takes a place of divine communication to be able to unpack the deep things of our dreams, our hopes, and our aspirations. And that's the third question. Who? Like Jesus will tell you everything about yourself. I mean, I'm a narcissist, I'll admit it. Sometimes I wish that somebody would just come and tell me everything that I've wanted to know about myself. There is someone who does that. Christ does that. Christ will speak to you everything that you need to know, but you need to be in a place of divine communication. You need to be a place where you have Daniel in front of you to interpret the dreams of God. These are the, third, the three soul questions, the first set that I want you to contemplate this week. I want you to contemplate these questions because therein is deeper, therein are deeper waters, deeper waters. Well, great, Pastor Wayne. That's the dream. We want to get to the juicy bits. What's the interpretation? Tell us now, what does each of these medals stand for? This is the fun stuff, right? Because we like the prophecy. Let's do that now. Daniel uh, chapter 2, verse 36. Verse 36, this is the dream. Now the interpretation. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom power, strength, and glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, beasts of the field, birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all, You are the head of gold. That is the only freebie you're going to get in Daniel 2. If you can pull that picture up once again, the picture of of the statue. You're the head of gold. That's the only freebie we get. And even there, it's still not completely clear. Are we talking about the head is Nebuchadnezzar himself, or does it represent Babylon? Well, whatever the case is, we know that the head is Babylon. We know that it's Nebuchadnezzar. Just keep this picture up as I read. And then after that, everything else, is, everything else is up to interpretation. So after the head of gold being Babylon or Nebuchadnezzar, verse 39, after you there will arise another kingdom, silver, that's inferior to you. And then another third kingdom of bronze, which will, which will rule over all the earth. And then a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. Inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break everything in pieces. And in that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. This is interesting now. This fourth kingdom will be a divided kingdom. Now your imaginations are flying. What what divided kingdoms are, are out there? So this is a divided kingdom, and it will have in it the toughness of iron, inasmuch as you saw iron mixed with common clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron, you can see that, and partly of pottery, 
so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw iron mixed with common clay. They, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another even as iron does not combine with pottery. So what are these, what are these other kingdoms? And I'm going to give you two major interpretations, two major interpretations, and I'm going to give you my own because you want to know what to believe, and I'm going to tell you what to believe, right? So the first major interpretation of these metals is the majority, it's what scholars interpret. And scholars, they get their interpretation going back to ancient, even pre-Christian times. In other words, the Jewish people who were reading Daniel during the ancient times, interpreted all of these kingdoms to be something. And for the Jews, and for our scholars today, the majority interpret it to be this way. The first head of gold is the, obviously it's the empire of Babylon. And so here you can see behind me, I created these, these pictures. This is the extent of the Babylonian empire. I mean, for how great it seems, it doesn't seem very large on the world scale, but it, it actually was like nothing the earth had seen. So it was this huge empire. That's the head of gold. After that, the silver arms and chest, it was believed, are the kingdom of the Medes, this second kingdom after Babylon. Now the thing about this, the problem is the Medes are not explicitly mentioned in Daniel, but historically they they existed and therefore the Jews of the time, they said, well, we can't forget the Medes. We have to include the Medes. So the kingdom of the Medes were understood by those ancient Jews as the silver part of the body. Well, after that, you have the bronze midsection, which is understood to be the kingdom of Cyrus. You can see these getting larger and larger. In other words, Persia. So you have Babylon, Media, and then third, Persia. Persia is important. I've mentioned the name Cyrus, and I'm going to mention it's going to come up again as we just can make our way through Daniel. Cyrus was important because he was a very progressive leader. He was somebody that allowed religious freedom. He allowed the Jews to rebuild their temple, and therefore they called him a Messiah. That's weird. In Isaiah 45, they call Cyrus the anointed, Mashiach. And so Persia was the third, a very important kingdom, but it doesn't stop there because there was iron. So what do you think the iron kingdom was? Well, According to this ancient view and the scholarly view, the fourth kingdom of iron, if you've ever seen the movie Alexander the Great, and Alexander kept pushing west, 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 he wanted to go to India, he went as far as the borders of India, this is the Greek kingdom. And this is very interesting on several levels. It's interesting because when you read all of Daniel, and I hope you are as we're going through this series, as you read all of Daniel, There are things that happen that accord very well with Greek history. When it talks about the abomination that causes desolation, many times we look for somebody uh, that comes from the future, that that maybe might have a tattoo of certain numbers or something, but the thing of abomination that causes desolation, this was referring to a historical period, this is referring to a person during the Greek period. So there's a lot in the, in the book of Daniel that refers to this Greek period, the abomination of desolation. Even Jesus, even Jesus himself will say the abomination of desolation, wink, wink. He's talking about something during the Greek period. And even more, if you can show the last picture, in addition to that, after Alexander the Great died, the kingdom was divided. 
This is interesting. It was divided among several factions. You had the Seleucids, and then you had a people called the Ptolemies. And they ruled down in Egypt. And in this area of Egypt, they intermarried with the Egyptians, Greek blood marrying with Egyptian blood, in the hopes that they would create a more united kingdom. But at, at best, it resulted in a very tenuous alliance. In other words, it was a brittle, a brittle alliance. Doesn't that sound familiar? It sounds very much like what... Um, what, what the interpretation of the dream here. So that's, that's, the, that's the, the ancient, oh, by the way, what about the rock? Who is the rock? Then the rock breaks off from the mountain and it rolls down and it comes and it hits the statue. Well, the thing about this is, this is where I'm not satisfied with this interpretive framework because then the rock is interpreted by the ancient Jews. They said, what's smashed against the Greek feet? What smashed against the Greek feet were the Jewish revolutions, the Jewish fighters, the Jewish revolutionaries that tried to overthrow everything. The problem I have with that interpretation is none of those Jewish revolutions really lasted. When you read about this kingdom, it was an enduring kingdom. It was a kingdom that lasted. None of those Jewish revolutions really went very far at all. So I have a problem with this interpretation. So that's the first you wanted to know. The second major interpretation is the interpretation traditionally of the church through the ages. So let's start all over. Wipe the slate clean, and we'll go back to the head of gold for the church. The church, ever since ancient times, the church has interpreted the head of gold to be Babylon, once again. And then the church has interpreted the silver arms and the chest to be Persia. If we can just pull up that map of Persia once again. So Persia... So they skipped media. They skipped media. The church tends to conflate and just add media Persia into one entity. So Persia. So forget about media. The church says we'll just go straight to Persia. And then the bronze part is Greece. Because obviously you can't forget. So this is Greece. Obviously if you've read the New Testament, what empire can you not forget in this equation? You can't forget Rome. And for the early church and for the church today, Rome, Rome was the context of Jesus. Jesus came in the context of the fourth great kingdom, the kingdom of iron. If you can show the next final picture, which is Rome. Nope, not that one. There you go, Rome. So the church says Rome is the kingdom of iron. Rome is the kingdom of iron and clay, and you know they make an argument that it was brittle and it was a divided kingdom. Well, whatever the case is, um, this, is how the this is how the church traditionally interpreted. What's the rock? What's the rock in this case? Traditionally, they've said the rock that rolls down and hits the statue is the church. The rock is the church. The church that overtakes, that pulverizes all other kingdoms, and that becomes the, uh, the enduring, lasting kingdom. My problem with that interpretation, I'm also not comfortable with that, is the church throughout the ages has not been perfect. The church throughout the ages, yes, it is an enduring kingdom, but did it have the integrity? Did it have the, did it have the quality of this enduring kingdom? A couple of hundred years later, the, the church kissed somebody. It kissed power. And once, once the church kissed power, its own power became suspect. And the result is, I don't know if you can say that the church adequately represents the rock. I broke off from the mountain. Believe me, I love the church. I believe in the church. I stand by the church. But the church, can it represent the rock? I don't know. 
And so you're left wondering, okay, pastor, so you've told us the interpretations. What, do we, what is your interpretation? What is your interpretation? I'm going to give you my interpretation and how we ought to believe and how we ought to interpret Daniel henceforth. Number one, two, number one and number two, I'll tell you my interpretation of the kingdoms, what the kingdoms are. And number two, I'll tell you what the rock is in my view. So number one, what are the kingdoms in my view? What are the kingdoms in this interpretation? My answer is whether it's Greece, whether it's Rome, whether it's Nazi Germany, whether it's the European Union, or whether it's Wayne Park's kingdom, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. However we interpret this, it doesn't matter because A, we lost the answer key. We're never going to find the true interpretation to this. We're never going to have the answer key. So A, we're, we're never going to know the answer. And B, Daniel speaks timelessly. And it's important for us to hear that there's so many interpretations and so many movies, bad Christian movies that are out there that say this kingdom represents this and this represents that. And friends, it's bad interpretation because Daniel, as much as it speaks to particular incidents, I believe it's speaking to something. And I think the scholars and the, the ancient Jewish, I think they're talking, I think they're onto something. But at the same time, Daniel is universal. It's speaking about 7.6 billion kingdoms trying to be built today, strong. All of us are kingdom builders. All of us are trying to create empires. What I'm trying to say is this timeless message of all of these kingdom after kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, what does that mean? It means all the kingdoms of the earth that we're trying to build. It's Yahoo being replaced by Google, being replaced by Alphabet, being replaced by the next thing. We're all trying to build kingdoms. In other words, see yourself in some of these golden or bronze or silver pieces. See yourself in that. This has been an interesting pop culture week, hasn't it? How many of you have ever owned a Kate Spade bag? I know one person in my family has. Ubiquitous. And yet, at the height of her kingdom powers and authority... Kate Spade ties her scarf to her doorknob and hangs herself. Or how many of you like food? And you like foreign food? And you've watched and you've journeyed with Anthony Bourdain, somebody at the height of his powers, and yet in the uttermost despair, also committed suicide this week. What is it about power and this dance with success and achievement that when we're deprived of it, Robin Williams, another one, I loved Robin Williams, broke my heart to pieces when I heard this brilliant man killed himself. What is it about success that scares us that we think in the end, if I lose my success, there's nothing for me to stand on. There's nothing underneath me. This culture of empire building is prevalent in our, in our society. We breathe it. We drink it. We don't know what to do when we don't have success or achievement. The empire building is symptomatic of all of us. My interpretation of this kingdom is dust and ashes. It's all dust and ashes. And unless we develop a spirituality of failure, of meekness, a spirituality of loss, a spirituality of smallness, 
we will not understand the kingdom analogy here. We will not understand what to do with all of these metals. Unless we have a spirituality that says, when I fail, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm replaceable, when there's, if there's nothing beneath my feet, then really my interpretation of the kingdom, it doesn't matter. It's all dust and ashes. And either we, come, we become comfortable with that or we end up making the same choice as Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. Friends, the second set of soul questions, if you look in your notes, reflect on this this week. What game am I playing? What game? Well, the metal wasn't strong enough. I'm going to build a stronger metal. I'm going to build a statue that's never going to... It's a game. It's a game. It's all a game. All of life, it's a game. We're playing to get on top of somebody. Second question, what other bright ideas do I have? And I know if I do this, this will work. This will get me on top. It's just an image. It's, it's just, a, it's just a, a facade. And the third question is, what eventually crumbles? All of these kingdoms will crumble. You want to know what the takeaway from the image of the kingdoms are, of these statues? It all crumbles. It all crumbles, whatever empire it is. And the sooner we come to terms with that, the sooner we move towards health and sanity. Do you guys remember last Sunday as I was talking about the most healthiest thing I can say? The most healthiest thing I can say is I'm not God. I'm not God. And we keep saying I'm not God, I'm not God. I will die someday. I may be irrelevant. I may not be influential. And the more we are comfortable and accepting of that, we become more healthy. But when we say, no, I must release the latest product line. I have to get back on the bestseller list. I have to be on top of the game. I have to be the best. I have to be God. What happens? You become Nebuchadnezzar. You become insane. We become insane. Like Nebuchadnezzar, the dew of the heavens will fall on our head. We go crazy. Why? Because we're trying to be on top of the statue. In the end, the statue crumbles. We all crumble. Now, then you might ask, what is the rock? Pastor Wayne, if you interpret the statue, if you interpret the kingdoms, if your interpretation is it doesn't matter, then what is a rock? What does a rock mean? I interpret the rock not to be the church. The church is imperfect. Not to be those, you know, all of these Jewish rebels. The rock for me is the gospel. And this is how it works. This gospel, this rock, it can't be defeated. It can never be defeated. In fact, let me go ahead and read verse 44 for you. And you can hear the words of this rock. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. That kingdom will not be left for another people. He's talking about the rock that crushed all of these other kingdoms. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself, it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw a stone cut out of the mountain without hands, and it crushed the iron, it crushed bronze, clay, silver, and gold, and the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. What we have here is an image of a rock that will never be shattered, a rock that endures, it will never be broken. This rock, what is the rock? For me, I interpret this rock to be the gospel. 
Why is the gospel the rock? The rock can never be defeated. The image is of an undefeatable kingdom. What is undefeatable about the, about, the, about the gospel of the kingdom? of What is undefeatable about the gospel? You cannot defeat the gospel because the gospel is defeat. You cannot defeat defeat. It's like Eminem getting up in front of the crowd and spitting out all of his weaknesses and all of the things that you would make fun of him for, and in the end he drops the mic, and you're flabbergasted. You can't get a step up on this guy because he basically undermined. He didn't go on top of you and say, I'm better than you, I'm better than you, I'm better. He went on the bottom. He went beneath. He took the downward path of death, of humility. Why does the gospel endure eternally? It endures because it is about failure about death, about weakness, about humility. It is about spirituality. The gospel is about hiddenness. Do you know that your greatest strength is not in your accomplishments? It's not in the letters after your name. The greatest accomplishments and the greatest strength that you have is not in all of these things that you do in life. Your strength is in your hidden identity in Christ. Your strength is in your abiding in Him. It's in the secret things that transpire. That is where your unbeatable kingdom lies. The enduring kingdom, the rock, is in this final image of weakness. I finish with these last set of soul questions. This third set of soul questions is, what am I fighting today? What am I fighting so that I can get back on top? Where can I surrender? Where in my life can I breathe? Can I say, this too shall pass? I can accept. You know, I told you the story about Galadriel last Sunday and how she was offered the one true ring. She had all the power in the world within her grasp. She turns it down and she becomes just Galadriel. What does it mean for you to just truly be Tanya Ryder, to just truly be sanctioned, to just truly be John Sanu. Where do you surrender? And finally, the third question is what will last? What will last? As I conclude, we have this imagery of kingdoms being built. Great kingdoms going up, But kingdoms going down, it's all dust and ashes in the end. But we have something that endures. Are you living a gospel life? Is your life marked with this humility, this hiddenness? Is it marked with this character of secrecy? So, I'm sorry to disappoint. I didn't give you the great interpretations that you might have expected. We might have expected some futuristic pronouncements. You know what the biggest problem with a lot of these these books on prophecy? They have to rewrite them all. They have to rewrite them all right now because the European Union is falling apart. The European Union is dissolving. That pretty much breaks apart a big chunk of their theory. Friends, don't look too far in your interpretation of Daniel. Don't look for obscure, esoteric things. Look in your soul. Look deep within. Look for the ways that you are trying to build a lasting kingdom. 
Look for the ways that the rock rolls down and shatters everything that you are and find your solace and your identity and your peace in that rock. Invite you at this time to close your eyes as I just read these final words. And I want to pronounce these words over you as professionals, as people in the marketplace, as mothers, as students, as parents, as people with ambitions, people that are chasing things, people that are hopeful for tomorrow. Remember, your rock is not yourself. The gospel is the rock. Your hiddenness, your conformity to the image of Christ, your abiding in Him, your secrecy, the secret prayers, this is your rock. Well, what are we going to do about this big thing that's coming down the pipeline or the cost per barrel? It's changing the market dynamics. Or there's these big political happenings. It's in God's hands. Or what are we going to do about this, these naysayers or all of these things or people are saying these things? It's in God's hands. It's all dust and ashes. Well, if I don't get this, if I don't maneuver, if I don't monopolize, if I don't make these things happen or pull these knobs or push these triggers, it's all dust and ashes. There is a rock. It has endured for 2,000 years and it will endure for the next 2,000. It is the gospel. And we can stand on that. We can hide in that. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and he did homage to Daniel. And he gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords. He's a revealer of mysteries since you've been able to reveal this mystery. And then the king promoted Daniel and he gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of, Dan of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made requests of the king. He appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. Lord, we pray that these blessings would come upon those of us who hear and are near to the interpretation. I pray that as we are in a place of divine communication, I ask that, Lord, you would give us the word we need to hear. Show us that thing that actually will endure. Show us what will go beyond all of our contrivances and our schemings and all of the things that we're trying to force into being and existence. Show us how those are just dust and ashes. And show us, I pray, that there is a rock upon which we can stand and it will endure it will endure. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone here who has need that you would meet their need.
their spiritual depths. I pray that, Lord, you would speak. So thank you for this word from Daniel. Thank you, Lord, for the way you are teaching us.